I made a realization that I didn't um, know before having made it in first service. No, I do, I do know that this is my, my last sermon, and I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to linger on that fact. Um, but it is stunning to me. Um, in, in just a moment, I'll, I'll read you the text that, um, that sort of catapulted me into considering ministry here in Australia. But it is literally three years to this day to this day, that Rob Simpson sent the text um, saying, hey, Joel, what's up? <laughs> I'll read the text for you in just a moment. Uh, but today, I, I want us to lean into a truth um, as we consider what the next era looks like for Access Church, as we consider uh, those of us that are moving into a, a new uh, season of ministry as we consider those who are coming to Axis and moving into a new season of ministry. Uh, I can't think of a better thing to, to leave us with than a mantra that I have been saying to my children, that I've been saying to my family, to my people um, for decades now. And that is we need to, we must remember who we are and whose we are. We must remember that. If we grab a hold of that, if we well and truly lean into those two truths, identity truths, they are difference makers, ladies and gentlemen. They make a difference. Now, I've got, uh, I've got a, a little uh, story that I want to tell you, but first, I want you to, uh, uh, I want you to think about something, and we're going to do a little poll, as I am wont to do in, uh, in my preaching. Um, I, I have you turn to your neighbor and ask your neighbor something, right? So for, for you introverts in the room, that's going away when I go away, okay? So you don't have to fear that anymore. For you extroverts, yeah, give me a call, and we'll poll one another over the phone, okay? All right, so here's what I want you to, here's what I want you to think about, and, you, and you're going to turn to your neighbor in just a moment. I want you to think about the most quoted scripture ever. Not just by the church, by the entire world. Okay? If you think of a scripture that is quoted, that is put out there, that's put on uh, uh, artistic presentations, that's put on uh, walls and that's put on mats, that's, what's the most quoted scripture ever? We're going to take a poll here in just a moment. Okay? First, I want to tell you a story some of you may have heard. I, I like this one. So there was a couple that decided that they were going to take a holiday to the Holy Land. And in so doing, um, the, the man was excited about being able to walk where Jesus walked, but he wasn't too excited when his wife said, um, we're going to take mom along with us. Okay, right? That'll work. So they went to the Holy Land, and of course, uh, if you've ever been on a, on a holiday to the Holy Land, you know that um, ancient streets, steps, all sorts of things provide really rather difficult travel, especially for the elderly. And this man's mother-in-law was well into her 80s. Um, and, uh, and it just so happened that as they were touring uh, this and that, were to walk the steps where Jesus walked, uh, the poor mother-in-law tripped, fell, hit her head, and died. And so the mortician was, uh, was brought to bear on the situation. And um, 
said to the man, uh, we can do one of two things. We can, we can embalm her here, put her in a nice box, put her on a plane and ship her home. That will cost you $5,300. Or we can care for her body and uh, not too far down the street here, just down from where the Mount of Olives is, there is a, pl a grave plot and we can even have her cremated for $175 and we'll look after her body here. He said, uh, get with your wife and, uh, and, and let us know your decision. He said, no, no. He said, I, I know exactly what we're going to do. He said, we're going to take mom home. He said, okay, all right, we'll make the arrangements, say, say no more, and um, you know, showed him where to sign the check and that sort of thing. He said, just curious though, um, wondered, how, you know, it's quite a difference between $5,300 and $175. Um, so what, what prompted you to, to make that decision? He said, well... He said, I immediately thought that about 2,000 years ago, there was a man who died, but he came back from the dead. And he said, with my mother-in-law, I can't take the chance. <laughs> okay, now turn to the person next to you. Turn to the person next to you, if there's somebody sitting next to you, and, and survey one another, what's the most quoted scripture ever? Go. It won't surprise you when you hear it, but it may not have been your first thought. All right, how many of you in the house would have said uh, John 3.16 would be the most quoted scripture ever? Lots of hands. Yep, yep. How many of you would, would say, no, I don't believe that. I think it's not even in the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament. How many would you? A couple? Yeah, a handful of hands. Okay. Um. Well, you might be surprised to know, you might not, but the most quoted scripture ever, it's on more needlepoints, it's on more throws, it's on more works of art, it's on more greetings, it's said at more funerals, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still, quiet waters. What's next? He restores my soul. See, you know it. He leads me and guides me in paths of righteousness. Why? For His namesake. And even though... Whoa, there's a, there's a big phrase. Now let that, word, let that phrase sink in for a minute. Because some of you in this room have some even those happening in your life this moment. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, or the King James says, thou, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You have prepared a table before me in the presence of of my enemies, you have anointed my head with oil, and my cup runs over and over and over and over. Now, when I first memorized this, these six verses, back when I was probably about six, I came to this verse, and, and I have an aunt named Shirley, 
And I thought, what's Shirley doing here? And I don't want her following me all the days of my life. <laughs> no, no, no. Surely, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I, let's finish it, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know how long forever is? It's a long time. It's a long time. And that ought to give us, that ought to give us some consolation today. That ought to give us some encouragement. I love what Billy Graham says about forever. If, if a sparrow flew with a grain of earth in its mouth to the moon and back and got another grain and flew it to the moon and back and got another grain of earth and flew it to the moon and back. By the time the earth was removed and taken to the moon, it would be breakfast time in eternity. Wow. That's so good. That's so good. So the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. So today, in your outlines, what we need to understand today, ladies and gentlemen, is that we can remember who we are and whose we are if we follow these cues from our good shepherd. First off, we need to realize that we, you, are the sheep of his pasture. That's who we are. We need to remember that we are sheep. Now, as much as I would love to agree with the Christian band Skillet, who writes the, the, uh, the song Lions, that compares us to lions, that is not what the Scripture says about us. We are not lions. As a matter of fact, if we read the Scripture, who is a lion? Your enemy, the devil, is a lion prowling around seeking for someone to devour. We are sheep amongst wolves and lions. And ladies and gentlemen, that's bad news. We're sheep. And why are we sheep? I love how Ken Davis says it. She says we're sheep because sheep are the dumbest, geekiest animals on the planet. They have these little bony legs and they're carrying around all that carcass plus the wool on top of it and they just run around scared of everything. And I, I, I can attest to that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I told you this before, but I'll say it again. When I was in Victoria and we were traveling the Great Ocean Road on the way back from Portland uh, to Melbourne, uh, we went through uh, Ballarat. We went the inside passage, if you will, up by the Grampians and the whole rest of it. We were on this really straight path um, and just kind of tooling along and Austin and Sierra were along in the car with me, uh, this, this camper van, and we were going by field after field of cattle and sheep and there they were all herded up. And every so often, you'd get a flock of sheep right next to the road having a drink by the gate. And oh, I just love doing this. As I would head by, I would lay on that Toyota horn. me. And as we looked, the sheep would just scatter, running for the hills like, what's that? What's that? What's that? Oh, no. Something's after me, right? And the cows would just go. Where are you going, mate? You know, the cows just sat there and watched. And then Austin and I made it a game. I said, all right, at the next paddock, when, when I honk the horn, let's bet how many sheep we can get running. And I would do it, and off they would run, and, and I never won the bet, because he always, 
He always estimated better than I did. But sheep, sheep need the shepherd, don't they? So, so, when, so when, the, when David says who he was a shepherd, so he knew of where he spoke, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. I shall have all I need and all I want. It is so, so very important to understand that, that when we see a need and it's on our hearts and our hearts break with that need, whether it's a very serious one or whether it's just a common, ordinary, everyday thing, whatever touches our hearts touches the heart of our good shepherd. Amen? He sees it and he wants to meet it. Secondly, on your outlines, have a look at the next verse. The next verse says, that, that not only does he take us to what, what, or provide whatever we need and want, he's our provider, he's our guide. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. He says to me, Joel, it's time for a rest. Isn't it interesting that David says he makes me lie down? doesn't say that he leads me to lie down. It says he makes me. Because we are accustomed to running, 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 aren't we? And we need the reminder of the good shepherd. It's time for margin. It's time for rest. It's time for quiet. It's time for shalom. It's time for Shabbat. You need to lean into that. And if you keep running and keep exercising and keep going places where I've not invited you to go, you're going to fall over. You need rest. You need to be shown shalom. The next one, verse 3, says that he leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake, to make his name famous. So, so think about it. As the shepherd with the staff and the rod, as he walks ahead of the sheep, and the sheep stay together. As everyone looks at how that shepherd guides the sheep, what does it do? It says something about the flock, but says more about the shepherd. Wow, wow. Have a look at that shepherd over there. He's really got his flock together. They're following him. They know his voice. They're not straying to the right or the left. The shepherd doesn't have to get the staff out and save them from briars or running water. He doesn't have to get the rod out and beat off a wolf. Look at, he's taking them to places where he knows that it will be best for his sheep. Wow, look at that shepherd. He's taking them down right paths for his namesake. It makes his name famous as he does it. As I think about that, I love John chapter 10, where Jesus says this about himself. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate is surely a thief and a robber. <laughs> and the shepherd gets the rod out. And beats off the thief and the robber. Yes? But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. 
The gatekeeper opens that gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And after he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them. And what do they do? They follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They'll run away from a stranger because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I'm the gate. I'm the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and they'll find good pastures. But the thief's purpose is to what? Is to steal and to kill and to destroy. But my purpose, my purpose is to give them life and life to the full, abundant life. The NLT says a rich and satisfying life. Why? I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd sacrifices his life for his sheep. Yeah. So the good shepherd with his voice leads and guides his sheep into right paths, places where rest abounds, places where there are green pastures, places that are away from running waters. And I've never been a shepherd, but I had Neil Grady uh, tell me earlier about sheep having to drink at still waters. And there's a reason for that. Their nostrils are so close to their mouth that if they drink in running waters, the running waters get up their nose and that frightens them and they won't drink. In fact, if running waters are the only place for a sheep to drink, a shepherd will actually bend down and make a pool with his arms and the sheep will drink over his shoulder into that quiet, eddy-like place so they don't have to drink running waters. Isn't that beautiful? That's what the shepherd does for his sheep. And if they're caught in a briar bush, the staff rescues them. If they're caught in maybe a, a, a raging uh, river, the staff rescues them. And if a wolf comes along, the rod is at the ready. And the rod can be a discipline for the, the sheep too. If they stray, if they go to the right or the left and they shouldn't, the shepherd applies what he needs to apply when he needs to apply it. Think about your own life. Are you at a spot where you need something? And my question to you is, have you asked the good shepherd? Oh, pastor, it's just something common. I, I, I don't want to bother God with that. He, he's got bigger fish to fry. He doesn't need to know. He doesn't need me to lay my burdens. Oh, hang on. That's not what the word says. The word says, cast your cares on me because I care for you. Come to the good shepherd. He is all we need. He will give us all we need or want. He will guide us to rest and shalom. He'll guide us in righteous GPS paths. God positioning system paths. Secondly, secondly, if we're sheep, he's the shepherd. So we've just answered both questions in the message. Who we are, we're sheep. 
whose we are. We belong to the shepherd. We're his. We're the sheep of his pasture. And we need to realize that he is the one and it's his voice that leads us and guides us. And verse 4 says there are some places that he have to, has to guide us and those places are dark. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. You're right there beside me. You're beside me in the fire, just like he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're beside me with the, when the waters rage, just like he was with Moses and the children of Israel, and the Red Sea was parted. He's right there. He's there in the fire. He's there in the flood, and he'll do it again. We just need to trust him, walk with him. He'll do it again, church. He'll do it again. So often, we worry. Oh, is God in this? Is God in this transition? Is God in this, in, in this, uh, this departure of Tammy and Pete and Joel? Is, is God in what, what's coming down to Axis Church? Is God in this interim situation? Is God going to be in the new pastor that we get? For heaven's sake, ladies and gentlemen, let me just, let me just tell you, three years ago, Three years ago, today, it is just not lost on me that Rob Simpson. So it is 11.36 right here, right now. So that means Eastern Standard Time in the States. It is 9.37 on the 27th. This text came to me at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on the 27th of July, 2016. Almost precisely three years ago now. Hi, Joel. I've got a curveball you, for you. This is from Rob Simpson. I'm taking long service leave in December, Jan of this year, and one of our pastors of a, of a church of 500 near Brisbane will be taking leave from Feb to April, and they're looking for a fill-in preacher for that time. Fill-in preacher for that time. It could work in with our needs. Any chance you might be available to consider ministry in Australia for four to six months? <laughs> and then they said, oh, four to six months isn't enough. But think about that. I was sitting at the bench in a beautiful home because I had just sold my home in the throes of a divorce, and we were settling all matters regarding a divorce. Married for 28 years. Been in ministry for 28 years. I'm sitting there wondering what's next for me. I'm literally saying to God, um, my options are very limited because, well, a, a divorced pastor is just frankly damaged goods in certain circles. And that's what I was thinking. And you know, as you're, as you're sitting doing and attending to the things, I'm crying a bit and I'm looking at the, the documents that I need to sign for, uh, for the judge and when they need to be there and who I got to get it notarized by and all those sorts of things and looking at a stack of papers and my phone is lying next to that stack of papers and I'm checking different things because right now I don't have a job and I've been doing a little trading on the New York Stock Exchange and I'm checking the ticker tape and that sort of thing and and all of a sudden, I hear it go, vv, vv. 
and I pick it up, and it's Rob Simpson. And he sent me the text that I just read to you. And literally, I, I read the text, and, and I'm sitting on a stool, and I went like this. I looked off, and then I said, what are you doing? What are you doing? I said it twice. And from that day to this, church, what God has been doing is reminding me who I am and whose I am. And he's been reminding all of us who we are and whose we are. And there isn't any way that anyone else could have orchestrated what has taken place in the last three years of my life. And so why wouldn't I look at my Savior Jesus as my good shepherd? Why wouldn't I look at his corrective rod and his supportive staff as guiding me all the way, even if it includes a counterintuitive idea to move me around the planet when I've just had a divorce and then 17 days after that, my father dies? Why wouldn't it be something God would go, Joel, i got an idea for you. You think you're washed up. You think ministry is gone for you. Try this one on for size. What are you doing? What are you doing? Christ is our good shepherd. Christ leads and guides. And he guides in paths that seem counterintuitive to us at the time, but turn out to be exactly what we need. And so verse 4 says that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you shall fear no evil. Folks, what's your even though right now? What is your even though? Is it a diagnosis? Is it a breakdown in communication maybe between you and one of your children? Is it, is it strife with your husband or wife? What is your even though? Even though you walk through that, even though you experience that, even though you're scared by that, you need to realize that the good shepherd is with you and you need not be afraid because you can lean into him because you've got this and he's got you. Remember who you are and whose you are, your sheep, and he's the shepherd, guided by the staff, protected by the rod. Now, let's read the next one. The next one is a little bit counterintuitive. I don't know if you've ever been reading through Scripture, and all of it makes sense. And, and, and one thing follows another, and it's fairly logical, and, and, and you think, well, yeah, that, 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 actually, that actually makes sense to me, like being led in, into quiet uh, pastures and green pastures and quiet waters and being led in paths of righteousness and all the rest of it, and we're being protected, and your rod and your staff, they come for me, and all of that. And then comes this verse, you have prepared a table before me, in the presence of my enemies. And when I read that, I just kind of sort of want to go, what? A table where? 
No, I think, Lord, what you mean is you've given me a front row seat to watch you do a Jeff Horn on my enemies. I want you to beat them up. Father, I want you to take that rod. Oh, do I ever want you to take that rod to my enemies? That's what you mean. Table? I'll have a table, but where again? Tell me where again, good shepherd. Where are you going to present that table? I've prepared a table for you. In the presence of your enemies. So I take him at his word. This is a table for two. And the good shepherd invites me to sit down and partake of a feast. Because you've got to know that when God is the preparer of a table, oh, what, what must be at that table? Oh, well, have a look. Oh, doesn't that look good? Mm, it is good. Very good. In fact, you might want to try some of this at some stage. Mmm. Mmm. Blueberries. Michigan's got beautiful blueberries. And God says, oh, have some of this. Oh, lollies. Ferrero Rocher. Mmm. And all the while, we're surrounded by enemies. And I owe Louis Giglio a tip of the hat for this illustration because he's, he's done this. But when I first saw it, I thought, oh, that's it. That's exactly what's going on. Our Heavenly Father has paid a high price for this reservation. The highest price that can be paid. So this seat right here cost him everything. His son, his only son, whom he loves. To seat me in the heavenlies with him and to enjoy good food and good pasture and, oh, my goodness. But remember the last part of that verse. You have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. By the way, does this look good, Mary? Would, would you like to share? Let's, let's, let's just have a share. Go ahead and take that and take the platter and pass it along. And let's, let's get everybody to share in on it, okay? Oh, and this is filled. I'll take an olive, but I'm just not a fan of veg. We'll just pass it this way. You, you can have that. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Here comes the lollies and the donuts and the sweets. There you go. Have at it. In the presence of my enemies. So here's what happens. Listen. A long comes the enemy with his own chair and rocks up 
and sits down and says, oh, by the way, Christine, oh, yeah, let me have a little bit of that. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And he says, hey, mate, how's it going? Like your seat at the table here? Yeah, right. Is he really looking after you? You're not going to eat that, are you? Here, let me have a bit of that. By the way, thank you. This water looks really good. I'm parched. I've been tempting a lot of people. Mmm. Water and wine. Oh, you know, <laughs> this table you're at, yeah, you, you, you've got everything taken care of here, but you know, my table, oh, my table's more fun. In fact, we got a party on tonight. Just come with me. I'll show you a good time. Yeah? It, it really, I mean, you're, you're going to trust this guy. This guy is, ugh, this guy is so ho-hum. He's no fun, but stick with me, mate. Oh, we'll have a good time. As I said in the first service, when the, when the enemy wants a seat at the table, all he needs is the slightest of gaps. All he needs is the, the slightest little niggle. You, you got room there? Yeah, yeah, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just have a chair. Yeah. How's it going, man? You let me in, didn't you? Right. So, so what do you think? Are we a little close? Well, you're the one that left the gap. You're the one that let me in. Huh? But, but, but is, the enemy's not a gentleman, is he? You leave him a space, he'll shoot the gap every time. Won't he? So here's the deal. The deal is, when you see him coming up the aisle with the chair to take a seat at the table for two, you and the shepherd, you just look and say, not in here, mate. Not in here. Out of here. Gone. Be gone. This is for me and my Savior. We are the only ones that are to sit at this table. You don't belong. And he'll, he'll, he'll come around and he'll whisper in your ear and he'll say, did you hear what she said about you? Oh, she doesn't think you're very good. But that causes you to lock eyes on your shepherd and say, oh, but I know what he thinks of me. I know what he thinks of me. After all, look at this table. I know what he thinks of me. This reservation is for me. It's for him and me. Say what you want, enemy. Surround me as much as you want. I think, I think, of, I think of Elisha and his servant. I think, I think of when the Syrians, the Assyrians surrounded uh, the city. And, and you can just imagine. You can just imagine it was Gehazi. That's the servant's name. He's kind of bleary-eyed and He's wiping his eyes, and of course, it's early in the morning, and you know what you normally do the very first thing you get up. He's probably relieving himself, and wherever he's standing, he looks out, and he's like, (sighs) 
He quits what he's doing and runs right back into Elisha. He says, Elisha, we're surrounded, we're surrounded. They've come for you, they've come for you. We're sur- Arameans, the Arameans have surrounded us. Elisha said, oh, let's have a look. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Gehazi, I see him. Yep, there they are. Yeah, they're marshaled. They're, they're certainly looking pretty mean right now. They're marshaled against us, aren't they? They're after us. Oh, Lord, open the eyes of my servant. Open his eyes right now. And, and Gehazi looks again. He says, look again. And surrounding those that were surrounding them were chariots of fire, were, were God's angels that were marshaled against those who were against them. That's why I love Michael W. Smith's new song, even though, even though I'm surrounded, I'm surrounded by you. In the presence of my enemies, I have a feast that I can enjoy. Why? Because you're my good shepherd. Let me leave you with this. You shouldn't let the enemy have a seat at your table. You shouldn't let the enemy have a seat at your table. And I know that when I was sitting at the bench wondering about ministry three years ago today, I know that when I was sitting there, my thoughts went something like these. My ex-wife has not only done something that blows our family apart, my ex-wife has blown my ministry apart. It's her fault. That's what was going through my mind. My daughter isn't talking to me. It's her fault. My son is drifting right now. It's her fault. I can't find a job right now that will suit because I've gone seven years and I've gone all in with study. That's all ministerial study, uh, undergrad degree, MDiv, and all I've got is seven years of theological study. Who will have me? I'm 50 years old. I allowed the enemy a seat at my table. And what God had to do was send a text from Rob Simpson that caused me to go, wait a minute, I'm looking the wrong direction. I'm listening to the wrong voice. I need to lock eyes with my good shepherd. Because here are some statements that you're going to hear in your head when you know that the enemy is trying to niggle his way to your table. If you hear this, that table over there looks much better. Chances are it's the enemy. You know what I know about the modern day church? When pastors change from church to church, it tends to mean that the flock changes from church to church. Well, all these pastors are leaving Axis Church. Must be something wrong with the church. We probably ought to go church shopping because this is way too confronting for me. Just way too much drama. Yeah, the people at Axis Church are nice and all, but you know, there, there's, there's, there's churches all the way around. There's C3s and there's city points and there's nexuses and there's and there's and there's and there's. And the enemy just kind of goes, yeah, yeah, can't trust the church, can you? Just not good. Got to be something going on there. You probably ought to shop around. 
Now, if God, let me just say a caveat, if God is moving you from access somewhere else, that's up to him. If God is moving you into a new season of ministry from access to somewhere else, that's up to him. But if you're leaving because you're looking on and saying, I don't know, I think we'll have it better up the road, you better check it. You better check it to make sure it's of the Spirit. Number two, like me, if you hear, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not going to make a good pastor anymore because you won't be able to speak to all those married folks out there because if you try to speak to them, you no longer have an authoritative voice in your life because you capitulated and threw in the towel and got a divorce. You're not good enough to deliver that message. I know what a good marriage looks like. I know the principles of Scripture. I can preach the Word of God. Why? Because he said so. He's the one that said so. He said so. But you, you see how he plays up? As you get older, as you age, all oh, these young bucks coming out of uni, they're a whole lot more virile, and they have a whole lot more technology in their tool belt, and they're a whole heck of a lot cheaper to pay than you are because you've been here for donkey's years. You don't think the boss is going to want to move you on in favor of that snot-nosed kid? Ha-ha, <laughs> you're not good enough. not good enough. You're past your use-by date, mate. If you hear that rolling around in your head, chances are there's a third seat at a table for two. If you hear, you just aren't going to make it. You're going to die. You're not going to be in there for the long haul. Your marriage won't make it. Her relationship with that bloke won't make it. You'll never find anything that you have desired since you were a little girl or a little boy. You're, you're, just, you're just not going to make it. And finally, if you hear, everyone's against you. Everyone's against you. Oh, yeah, did you see those two people over in the corner talking at church? They were talking about you. Yeah, they were. I, I happened to overhear the conversation. They weren't saying very good things about you. As a matter of fact, it really would be best if you moved on because they've been talking to other people who've been talking to other people. And, and if you really want to know it, everyone is out to get you. Everyone's against you just best for you to move on. And what happens is when the enemy whispers that in our ears, and guess what? You can be like me. I have walked with the Lord since I sucked my thumb. Believe me. I've walked with the Lord for, for nearly 50 years now. But the enemy's lies are so insidious that they are believable by someone who's walked with the Lord for 50 years. They just are. And if you're not careful and if you're not locking eyes with the Savior, you'll be listening to the wiles of the enemy. If you're not locking eyes with the Savior, you'll be listening 
to the wiles of the enemy. And in a word, the word says, just by the word of God, it'll send him packing. Ask the one who made the reservation to tell him to get out. And he will. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I want to land the plane with this. There are rewards. There are rewards for continually, obviously, staying with the good shepherd, sitting at his table, not letting the devil or any enemy a seat at the table for that matter. If you remember who you are and whose you are, then lives are anointed with goodness. He anoints my head with oil. And that anointing is reminiscent of how the priests were anointed, how on the top of Aaron's head it would run down his beard so much oil that it would drip onto his clothing. My head is anointed with oil. My cup runs over. I'll never forget on the Holy Land tour with Wilbur Williams when I saw a cup now, when you see a uh, cup runs over, do you normally think cup, this cup? I know I used to, until I saw this one. Let's have a look at this photo. This happens to be the rubble of King Ahab's uh, stables where they kept the chariot horses. And if you look down where you see sort of a square looking container there that has been obviously fallen away from rubble, that's a cup. The Hebrew word that's being used here, my cup runs over, is the same word for a horse trough that's been drunk at by horses. That's the cup. We're thinking this size cup. And God's saying, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. The cup I'm talking about, you could take a bath in. That's the cup that runs over. And surely, goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. And you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, folks, that last encouragement is not just meaning that you're going to make it to heaven and live forever. He's saying that he wants you to dwell in his house in the here and now. Right here. Dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A seat at his table. A feast has been prepared for you. It's in the presence of your enemies, yes, but it's yours. He's locked eyes with you. And he said, even though you're surrounded, I've got them surrounded. And so church, I'm going to invite you to rejoice with me. I'm going to invite you to come, not just because of the last two years of ministry, not just because a couple of your pastors are moving on. I'm going to ask you to come and rejoice in your good shepherd. Come and rejoice that he's called you by name and he's got you written on the palms of his hands. He loves you. He's done everything to show it. And I'm going to invite you to come forward as the team sings. Come and worship with me. Come and rejoice with me. Come and give God praise and glory with me. Come and pray with me. If you need somebody to pray with you, we'll be here. 
Let's lock arms together and let's praise God and remember that he is our good shepherd. Let's sing together. Stand with me if you would, please.